Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. Joining me today are Drs. Erin Chaparro and Ginny Joseph to talk about Tier 2 teams, the foundations of Tier 2 supports, and how to get students the resources they need when they need them. Well, this morning was real exciting around the Cave House. The Boston Marathon happened. Oh, I mean, I guess that sounded like I ran it or something. No, I just, I watched it on TV like a regular person in my fuzzy socks with a cup of coffee. Have you ever watched one, a marathon, I mean? I mean, if you haven't, I get it. Like, what's the point, right? It was, I was there with you until a few years ago. It's two and a half hours of what exactly? Watching someone run sounds thrilling. <laughs> but then I started running and all of a sudden watching elite runners finish a full marathon in the time it takes me to run half the distance became inspirational. I followed Shalane Flanagan and Des Linden on Instagram. I tuned into all the distance running events during this year's Olympics. And one time I saw Mo Farah casually chatting it up in a hotel lobby when he was like in town for the Prefontaine Classic or something. And I geeked out. I was like, you guys, it's Mo Farah. It's Mo Farah. Nobody cared. I mean, I'm not an elite runner. And at this point in my life, I know that I'm not destined for any kind of Hall of Fame greatness. I'm an almost 40-year-old woman who's just looking to run a 10K without falling over at the end. Picking up on the nuggets of wisdom from people who've been at this sport for a long time gives me something to think about. Gives me new ways to train, maybe a different technique to test out on a Saturday long run. I mean, couldn't we all use just a fresh perspective a new idea that helps us do the thing that we do. I'm hoping that's what you'll get with this episode over the next 35 minutes. Like I said before, we've got two guests today. Dr. Aaron Chaparro is a research associate professor and a colleague of mine here at the University of Oregon. Her current research focuses on developing an online training for tier two teams to implement a decision-making process called Team Initiated Problem Solving, or TIPS for short, because we have to have a good acronym. And Dr. Ginny Joseph is with us too. She's a coordinator of PBIS and mental health at Orange County Department of Education. And she has a passion for prevention science, social emotional learning, and providing a safe social climate for all students. Erin and Ginny, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Megan. Hey, Ginny. Hey. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice to see you both. So we're talking about tier two teams, which is something that you all have spent quite a bit of time working on in the last few years. Um, so right before we get real far into it, I feel like school-wide teams is something that people can kind of get a handle on. They kind of know a little bit about the decision-making process. So let's try and like build a quick bridge and get everyone <laughs> from um like talking about what's the what's similar maybe and uh, how does it how does a student start to come up for a tier two team how does a student appear on their agenda? Good question. Well, maybe I'll start with just kind of the the global idea, and then yeah. Ginny can 
take it more to the local level. Um, but just at the global level, you know, you're thinking about your school-wide PBIS team is really making decisions about how the overall PBIS school-wide system is functioning. So they're really doing some problem solving around grade levels or around areas of the building. And it might be that that team identifies an individual student or a couple of individual students who uh, are really having more challenges than other, challenge, than other students in the same environments. Um, and so they might get uh, a nomination for the tier two team or the tier two team can really take a more focused approach to looking at that student, that student schedule, what are the environmental factors around that student so that that student can be supported um, in a more direct and targeted way. And generally, schools will have a tier two team and a tier three team, but a tier two team that's focused on interventions that maybe are less resource intensive than tier three, right, um, which faster are more, to yeah, faster, uh, kind of more in small group settings. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's called a standardized protocol approach. So Ooh, uh, it's less, less individualized. <laughs> so, and generally we recommend for schools to plan for about 15% of their student population to be served by some okay. tier two interventions. Okay. So Ginny, yeah. what does it look like when you actually? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the high bolts. level, right? So yeah. let's talk about practitioners. What does that look like in practice? That was really comprehensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to add something to that. Um, I think um, what happens a lot in practice is the way that um, students are tending to get on um, tier two team agendas is uh, more through <laughs> uh, teacher referral. And so what we talk to um, schools about, and that might be before um, some, some more intensive coaching or training on tier two implementation. Um, and so what we talk to teams about is more looking at data for the preventative piece, kind of more what Erin was referring to. Um, and I know we're going to dive deeper into what data we look at later, but um, but we try to to um, you know guide teams in the direction of being more preventative because often the teacher referrals um, they've been implementing a lot for a while and they they tend to be more um, intensive students once they get to a point where the teachers are asking for help. Uh. Right. So they don't necessarily consider that there's an in-between step, maybe. Yeah. The behaviors have escalated to a place where they might need more individualized support, but right. they could have sent in a referral earlier. What might be another way that, um, so uh, teacher referral might be one way that students could end up on the agenda. Are there other ways? In terms of data, um, what we talk to um, students about, or sorry, tier two teams about looking yeah. at um, student data, uh, office discipline referral data is one that teams commonly look at. Sure. Um, attendance, tardy. But then we're also talking, a, a lot of schools are starting to look at universal screening type data for more mm. internalizing data for that might. Yeah, um, might signify a need um, for more intervention than what tier one is currently providing. Right. What might uh, be what's an example of a universal screener for that you're thinking of? Um, 
a couple that we talk about a lot with teams is the SDQ, the Strengths and Difficulties Questionnaire, as well as the SRSS, which is the Student Risk Screening Scale. I think I got that right. These acronyms, man, <laughs> I swear. Sometimes I just feel like I'm scrambling an alphabet when I'm having an actual meeting. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, okay. Great. And then um, a couple other referral, like active referrals, we um, we advocate for making the referral um, something that you put on your website, maybe that students and parents could also access Thank and um, actively um, advertising that that's <laughs> that that's yeah. there if you're concerned that's smart. about a student or if um, if you as a student recognize that you need more support, then here's the so way that know. you would access that. Yeah. So what does a tier, what does the tier two teaming process look like? So you've got some students, like now you're, you're working as a team. I'm a little bit familiar personally, just through some of the work in the previous articles and the work that we just normally do about what the school-wide team is doing during their decision-making process. So what is that like now at the tier two level? I think that's a tricky question for is teams, it? actually. Oh, tell I mean, me. I, I feel it is. I feel like the composition of the tier one team is is pretty straightforward. Like, here's yes. what you do. You've got an administrator. You've got a coach. You've got representation across the different grade levels. Or for secondary teams, it's um, subject areas. Uh -huh. But and, and the tier two team needs an administrator. They need coaching support. Okay. Um, but they also need more of that expertise around the social emotional behavioral supports. Um, mm -hmm. So um, that helps guide, um, you know, reading the data and interpreting and um, selecting evidence-based interventions. Mm -hmm. uh, so I and I and I think because schools are so different um, in terms of resources and capacity, there's no perfect formula for putting your tier two team together. As far as like who's on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It, it varies. And um, according to the size of the school, the resources available, and that's personnel resources. And then we've seen some schools where they have um, like a tier two and combined tier three team. So okay. one week they meet and they talk about tier two interventions and support. And then the next week they talk about tier three and do individual student problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, another option is sometimes we've seen that there's you know a tier two team, but one week it's more focused on coordination. And so they're talking more about housekeeping and like, well, how many kids do we have in this intervention? Or we're kind of overwhelmed over here, so we need some more support. So they're doing kind of more of those organizational systems problem solving on the coordination team. And then the next week, they're talking about individual student progress monitoring and figuring out who's moving into which supports. And so there are a number of There's ways. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, definitely. And it has to have that contextual fit, like what's going to work for your school with the people that you have so people aren't overwhelmed and meeting on too many teams and stretch them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Are there any, um, like if you're going to structure your agenda, are there some ways that schools traditionally kind of work through it at all? Or is it just still like super contextual? So everybody's kind of making things up on their own, or are there some recommendations for like how you could work your way through Mm -hmm. your meeting. Yeah. Well, Megan, I feel like if we were just 
having a tennis ball, you just hit me like the nicest ball and I could just okay. like tap it right over oh, great. the net. Because <laughs> basically you've opened the door to team initiated problem solving, which you know is near and dear to my heart. Um, yeah. yeah. T- tips for short. And mm-hmm. um, basically it's an evidence-based, scientifically based process for problem solving and for teaming that starts mm-hmm. with kind of the meeting foundation. So it's you know, assign, regardless of who you have on your team, if you have special ed teachers, school psychologists, principals, classroom teachers, instructional aides, every person in the team has an assigned role. Uh, and that includes data analysts, as Jenny was talking about. So someone who has that ad- additional behavioral and data expertise. And then you have your facilitator, your note taker. Um, but then the process for meeting through, going through a set agenda does help to keep the team organized and starting focused. with, yeah, focused and so that you can actually get through your agenda in the limited amount of time that you have your meeting for. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So you're not kind of bopping all over the place uh, like, oh, we forgot to talk about that student. Right. Oh, wait, did you, I forgot to follow up with you on that. Mm-hmm. Instead, we have all the students that were maybe progress monitoring. Then we have the students that are newly nominated. Uh, then we have the students that were, you know, need to follow up and transition to a different team. Maybe, you know, go into a grade level team focused with teachers or maybe tier three uh, more intensive intervention supports. So, yeah, there's definitely a way to structure it. And they can fi- people can find resources on the PPIS.org site um, and then as far as tips goes, it's a keyword on the, <laughs> and if they look at the database decision-making on pbis.org, there's more resources there. Great. Great. Jenny, did you have anything to add around that? Um, I, we, we use tips in our training um, and, and we love it. So I definitely yeah. advocate it's a, it's a great way to keep you on track and organized and accountable. I mean, nobody wants to be in a meeting in the first place. Like no one's stoked on a meeting. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think maybe there are people out there, but that's not my experience. And um, I think we've all been a part of those discussions where it feels like we're just talking about things, but never really focused on, well, what are we going to do about it? George Sugai, I think used to say that we were admiring the problem mm-hmm. and um, just, it feels good. I think to vent about things or to talk about what you see and to share your perspective on that. And all of that is really great, but ultimately there's a certain amount of time that we've got together in a room where we can make really good decisions. And so anything, I think to keep that t- discussion available and like happening, but also like directed to mm-hmm. A purpose, I think, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I add too that we, you know, have data to show that using the tips agenda in the process actually reduces the amount, the length of the meeting. Nice. So, you know, we've seen where teams have 45 minutes set aside regularly for their meeting, but then after starting to use the tips process, they're down to 35 minutes and they Perfect. get done early and they get can get people, you know, back to their classrooms or wherever. Uh, And then the other piece is that people actually leave the meeting feeling a sense of accomplishment and like, hey, (laughs) they feel really good about leaving that meeting because we said we were, you know, we did what we said we were going to do. What we're doing is having an impact or it's not having the impact we want. And we know what we're going to do about it. Um, And so people leave the meeting feeling more purposeful and committed to the effort rather than leaving a meeting feeling 
frustrated and not sure about what the next steps are. I'm like envisioning one of those <laughs> really terrible infomercials where it's like in black and white and like they can't, <laughs> they're just all thumbs in the kitchen, you know, and then something comes in and it's like, it's everything is so great now, you know, that's what I'm hearing. Right. Like, yeah. The magic like, wand. What am I doing in my meetings? You know, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Just the structural changes that can happen. Yeah. Um, and then of course it goes deeper. The problem solving process goes deeper and looking at alignment between function and behavior and the interventions. But if you can get the logistics down, that's a really huge step. Those into foundational feelings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, in our article for October, we always spend time talking about something called the October catch, which um, is around using your behavior, school-wide behavior to identify some students who could benefit from additional supports and not just identifying them, but identifying them so early that they may not have even showed up on your radar in the first place. We're talking about students that have um, I think it's two referrals by October or one referral for defiance. If you're in a middle school, if you have one referral for um, defiant behavior, that research shows that these students have a trajectory toward ending the year with six or more referrals. So if you can identify who these students are now, it's possible that you can change the trajectory for their year right now in October. So um, because of that, if we have schools that actually participate in that process and actually look at those data at the school-wide level, it's possible that the tier two team could see an influx of students showing up on their agendas in by their November meeting. So um, I'm curious, like, what is the step? What's the next thing you do, right? So how does a team start to review the students that are on this list? What are the decisions that they will probably need to make? What are the data that they might want to pull from to make those decisions? What happens? Uh, we typically um, have teams think about, you know, what are the cut points for data decision making ahead of time? So, um, so they're thinking about, you know, when do we know for different sets of data if kids are on track? if they're at risk or if they're in need of, you know, more intensified individualized intervention. So, um, so teams should have um, some sort of decision-making rules around, you know, what, here are our data, what are they telling us and should we provide more intervention or maybe even just ask more questions. Yeah. Um, so that's typically what we do with students and the data sets. Um, but the, what, my, what, oh, go ahead, keep going. I just, I just, I think the data are so important to put at the middle, which TIPS does. Yeah, <laughs> uh, everything points back. You use it to inform. Yeah, and um, because I think as educators, we tend to want to make things better. And um, so sometimes the, the focus is more on, we need more intervention. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, which is not necessarily the case. We just need to know, you know, what does the student need? Uh-huh. So how might you go about making that? What are those, what are some of those decision points that you see tier two teams adding and looking at all the time? Um, well, like you were referring to the office discipline referrals, the majors, the minors, um, attendance, which they usually refer to their district, 
um, uh -huh. guidelines for when is attendance becoming a, a problem um, to the point where it would be, you know, a big meeting at the district. And so we tell them to kind of backtrack well, how would you intervene earlier before it became that big meeting? Yes, right. Um, like, what would the what would the point of intervention be? So they kind of do some math and and you know some guess points, and then they fine tune it as as it you know goes along. You know, maybe that wasn't early enough. Maybe we need earlier. Um, same for tardies. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, the universal screeners they all have their own cut points to follow. Yeah, so the, would you administer those um, once a student is, once the team receives the referral for a specific student, would, is that the point you would administer those screeners or are they happening all the time? The screeners are typically a regular progress monitoring okay. school okay. that we, we would administer throughout the school year as long okay. as we have already developed some tier two intervention to, um, to provide this support. <laughs> I want to make sure if we're identifying kids, we have something available to provide them with the support that they need. Mm -hmm. Can I, it's kind of a question and answer at the same time. Yeah. Um, so one thing that we've been doing as part of the TIPS research is in court, is asking tier two teams to, at the beginning of the school year, look at their school enrollment and then figure out what's 15 per, what's that number of 15% of their students. That's such and a then, smart thing to do. <laughs> yeah, just like okay, so that means that yeah. that we're going to have 50 kids. That 15% is 50 kids. And so, do we have supports for spaces for 50 kids? And so when the October catch comes around, you can say like, actually, we have spots for 50 kids and we're only currently serving 25. So let's do our October catch. But then let's also see, okay, that gets us up to, you know, maybe 45. Yeah. We technically have five more spots. So like who can kind of to Jenny's point about prevention, who can we identify now through teacher referral saying here, here's the interventions. This is, you know, the the behaviors that they can typically support, who do you have on your rosters that might benefit from this for six weeks and mm -hmm. um, see how that goes. But so that's something that we've been shifting to. Ginny, I don't know if you've had schools try at most, a lot of times schools have too many kids and not enough intervention support. So it works the other way around. Yeah. But sometimes in the smaller rural schools, it actually is the other way where they actually have spots for 25 kids, but they're only serving 19 kids. So. When our schools start to do the math, they, they get a little nervous. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how are yeah. we going to do that? Yeah. 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 But it is good to start like, you know, the beginning of the year is that time for me menu planning, essentially. Like what is your menu of interventions that you have available and how many spots are available? And if we don't have the resources, that's when we need to go to the district to say, you know, this is our student population. These are the needs we have. Here's our data to show this need over the long term. Um, how can you support us to be able to serve those students? So, and I think schools are starting to also access um, community-based services and be a little bit more thoughtful about how we can um, use those community providers possibly mm -hmm. um, at the tier two level instead of just that individualized kid level at the tier three level, which we've traditionally done. Um, can you talk more about that? What does that look like involving the community? Uh, 
how long is this? I don't know. I, know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it starts with just developing um, um, the partnerships with community agencies. Um, here in Orange County, we um, we have regional mental health coordinators at the county office, and so they've really been instrumental in helping districts access those community providers and make those connections and those relationships. So still an ongoing process, but we're getting there. Yeah, I think that's great. How do you know that you have, like, you talked about this menu of supports, like these menu, this menu of interventions that teams could then access and be like, this is a good fit for, how do you know, first of all, that you don't have, like, you know, those menus at restaurants where you open them up and it's like pages of stuff uh -huh. and you're so overwhelmed. With, you're like, this is a little, can they really do all these things well? Can they do all of them well? And also now I have like a 15 minute process to figure out what it is that I want to eat because yeah. I have to read through chapters of, mm -hmm. of options. So how do you know that you're starting to get into that realm or you have, you have, you've missed some type of intervention that might benefit specific students, um, specific groups of students at a tier two level. So how do you start to yeah. develop that menu and kind of get it into like a good range? Um, and then how do you know which one to, assigned for which kids yeah I, I'll just say the one thing that immediately comes to mind is the TFI the tiered okay. fidelity inventory uh, which is a fidelity measure and if teams like tier two teams look at the TFI for tier two there's going to be some guidelines there like do you have a, a set protocol for your intervention so there's a lot of times where people say like oh yeah we have this tier two intervention but no one's actually received support on it. There's not actually a clear mechanism for how a student gets nominated for that intervention. There's, you know, so you want to have the intervent, that menu available and know that each of those menu items has someone who's been trained, has someone to enter the data, has someone mm. to, you know, communicate with parents. So um, you want to make sure that each one of those interventions as a part of the menu has has the supports around it in order to be successful and that the kids yeah. who are going to get access to it are going to get access to the full intervention, not just, well, what I can do on Tuesday, but it's really supposed to be a Monday through Friday kind of intervention. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. And Ginny, I'm sure you have a lot more to add about this, especially the <laughs> alignment, but that was my first thought. Um, I, yeah, I think, um, Excuse me. I think um, your point about the tiered fidelity inventory was really important. Um, and there's also um, a table in there that makes sure that, you know, you're, you're looking at your menu of interventions and gives some guide, guidance there for teams. Um, looking at function of behavior, making sure that you have um, some different interventions that meet the different functions of behavior. Um, but I also think part of it is being flexible at tier two and um, making sure that you're looking at your data, which may be telling you what you're missing. Um, you know, what, what is, whatever the student need is, um, the customer's always right, is what they need, right? <laughs> so, and what we need to develop for kids. That's great. I'm learning, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and kind of in that, like moving along through that process a little bit is that, 
of course, every decision-making team, Erin, I think you referred to it earlier where you said you have students that you're monitoring, students that are new to the program and students that you need to transition one way or the other. And so every team has this charge of um, looking at what's working. Like, mm -hmm. how do you know that it's working? So what does progress monitoring actually look like at, at tier two? Yeah, there's multiple levels of it. You know, I think uh, just, I'll just say like there's time. So how long has a student been in the intervention? Um, and maybe the time is the trigger. Because this is to, supposed to be like brief, right? You're not short term. Gonna, yeah, not yeah. in theory. Yes. Perpetually <laughs> on tier two, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I see mean, a smile, Ginny. Let's I know. <laughs> that's a knowing smile. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, I think that's a, an excellent point that students should exit. There should be, you know, the intention of placing a student into intervention with the intention of, you know, exiting at some point. So that idea of fading when students show that they're making progress is yeah. so important. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine Absolutely. too, though, you've got some students that are, that love what they're doing. So yeah. at some point, could yeah. there be some sort of like compromise there where like they can keep doing it, but we're not going to necessarily check in on them. All yeah. The time. I've, I've had students come back and say, after they've been faded off of a support say, Hey, can I, can I do that again? <laughs> they I just like checking in with Mr. Johnson. Yeah. Well, and I've seen teams where they scaffold like the, like you said, you're fading a student off of check-in, check-out say, So they're not checking in every day, right. every single period with their teacher, you know, morning and afternoon. But instead, they just go to the check-in, check-out room in the afternoon to say hi to everyone. But they're not really a part yeah. of the, you know, the intervention <laughs> anymore. Right. Um, but it's more that they've had that positive adult connection. And, yes. you know, that's great. And that's what's going to keep them there and keep them, you know. All, all systems running positively. So, but, um, but yeah, I think time is a big one. And then okay. just always there's uh, data being collected. So you're getting, um, is, you're getting data on, is the student being successful in the intervention? Is the intervention having the impact on the student's behavior that we're looking for? And so if at any point um, there's a goal set. And so if at any point the student's outcome in that intervention drops below that goal, that's also uh, opportunity to say, hey, what's not going well here? And how can we progress monitor? You know, are we looking at fidelity? Is it that the student has been absent? Is it that the intervention provider has been absent? Like, I mean, you have to look at all of those different aspects of, um, of implementation. And then, yeah, at a minimum, we, we do encourage teams to set a time threshold. So every six weeks, if it, even if it's going awesome for a student, every six weeks, we want you to check in about that kid and just say like, okay, is, do we keep going for yeah. how much, you know, do we just check back in six weeks or is this an opportunity to talk about scaffolding? Mm -hmm. I like the tips uh, form because that's, that's built in to the progress monitoring piece is, you know, how many students are receiving which intervention and how's it going. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's, there's a couple other tools out there to, to monitor progress. Um, we haven't had this happen yet, but I could imagine, you know, if, if we get too many students in an intervention, hey, maybe that signals a need to talk to the tier one team about something we need to do differently for all kids. For everyone. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I, I always appreciate talking to folks 
in this space because there's such a commitment to using data to inform decisions. And um, I, I'm wondering, like, does in, is that sort of one of those checklist components to selecting these interventions as options that you have a way to measure, to measure what it is that's working and not working? Does every intervention come with a data point or are there some where that's not the case? Are you speaking um, specifically to measuring fidelity of implementation? Uh, fidelity, but also just to know like if the, if it's working for the student. So you're you put them into an intervention, you enroll them in an intervention, and you need to know is it the intervention that's working, or is there something else going on for a student that's either benefiting them or making things get a little bit Absolutely. sideways. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that I think uh, as a part of kind of the TA center and the, and the tips work, there's a threshold of, you know, if you have, if 70% of your kids, if, sorry, there's, you know, kind of like if below 80% of the kids in an intervention are not succeeding, mm. um, something's wrong with the implementation of the intervention. Yeah. If you've chosen an evidence-based intervention to begin <laughs> with. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're doing something that like I whipped up while I was on summer holiday and I, I think it's going to work, but I'm not really sure, uh -huh. you know, then that's a different story. But if you feel like check in, check out or something and you have 60 or 70% of your kids being successful on in that intervention, the in implementation of the overall intervention needs to be examined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the, um, or the fit for the kids. And the fit. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, and I think not, Check in, check out is so great because it does have kind of that built-in uh, point system where you can easily track how they're doing or how it's, you know, affecting them. Um, and I don't feel like every intervention <laughs> has that right. built in. Like I think you're right. I think sometimes you're we right. just have to build our own, you know, what is mm -hmm. the point of this intervention and how do we measure yes. if they're gaining those skills, yeah. um, which I think is why it's so important to have the people on your team that can do that, that understand, you know, what do we need to measure exactly? Um, we don't have to be uncovering a student's deepest, darkest secrets to say whether or not it's being effective. It can be a little bit more objective than that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that the intervention provider can establish, right? So if you're running like a social skills group and you have a social skills curriculum, you've got five kids in, you can set that personal threshold of, you know, these are the goals for the outcome for these five students. And, you know, the important thing is to set a goal so that you know if it is successful or not, whatever your metrics are. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it doesn't have to be the, the database and the, ch the check and check out. There can be more <laughs> informal methods mm -hmm. of. But there needs to be some way to check in and to know that it's not just your personal experience with this particular student, that it's actually like there's something going on that's actually helping and benefiting. There should be some way. Yeah. It goes beyond the, I feel they're not I feel like. along with, <laughs> along with like what they're seeing on the playground. Yes, perhaps ask around. Um, so anyway, I really, um, the thing about tier two teams is just to me, it's not, you know, you have like an area where you feel like real comfortable and confident 
tier two is not one of those for me. Um, so I'm always appreciative of having people come in and, and talk to us about like some of these logistics, like how do you get it started? You've got students that appear on your team and I am a first time tier two team member and I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I've got a list and now I got to do something about it, you know? So I think all of these tips <laughs> and tricks to, um, <laughs> to try and like navigate some of that, you know, figure out what is 15% of your school population? How many students could we potentially be serving in this capacity? What are the data points associated with each of these interventions? Do we have enough people, adults to run each of these programs or should we scale back or do we need to ask someone else for some additional resources? Have we reached out to the community to like, see what, what's out there that could connect really well with um, students that we serve in our school. So all of that is like really good food for thought. And it's, um, it's more than just a yes or no question. It's like big umbrella questions that you can actually talk about as a team. So I really, this has been really helpful for me in my, in my learning on things anyway. What else, what else, is, coming up? <laughs> what else is coming up for you guys? What are you working on right now? What's on the horizon? Um, on the horizon, mostly what, what we're focusing on is integrating the equity and mental health work into our tier one uh, implementation and supporting schools with that. I think, nice. I think I'm hopeful that maybe that will even affect some of the students who are coming into those tier yes. two interventions. Yes, because as we've seen, Students are, we all are experiencing so much stress in our lives right now. We've just, we're trying to come off of the last 18 months. I feel like I keep saying 18 months and maybe it's longer now. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't know. But it's like, it's been a big deal and it's had a big impact. Everyone's been affected. So doing it as a universal only can serve to help at tier two. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, same question. Let's see here. What am I up to? Well, I guess I've been um, working a little bit with the Choose Kindness Foundation and their efforts to have Be Kind be one of the added school-wide expectations, the usual three Bs. So nice. that's been a fun uh, project to work on. And there's 84 schools across the country who are uh, piloting that work. And then, um, yeah, and then continuing with the tips work, we're actively updating all the tips training materials right now, and uh, soon we'll have some updated uh, information on pbis.org about tips, and so stay tuned there yeah. for that information. I'll stay tuned for that information. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me, too. <laughs> me too. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you.